Psalm 145. It is my favorite psalm, and what I really love about Psalm 145 is the character attributes. I'm really big in the character attributes of God. For as long as I can remember, I was fascinated over character attributes for God. Because someone should ask you, well, describe who your God is. Well, there's several places. You can go to Exodus 34. You can go to Psalm 145 or everywhere. So Psalm 145. So let's open a word of prayer. We'll start. Avina Makeno, our Father, our King, we are so grateful that in your word, both in Exodus 34 and Psalm 145 and others, Father, you've laid out clearly through David the Psalmist or through Moshe the, the character attributes, your attributes, who you are in essence. And Father, we bless you and praise you that you have revealed yourself in your character to us through these wonderful passages in Yeshua's name. Amen. So we're only going to cover the first seven verses because obviously if I covered the, the full uh, 21 verses, we'd be here to 2 o'clock. I don't think anyone wants to be here to 2 o'clock. Psalm 145. Now the very first verse is a hymn of David. That might be in your, uh, your, your passage right above that describes it. It's actually part of the first verse. 45.1. A hymn of David. I exalt you, my God, the King, and bless your name forever and ever. I will bless you every day. I will praise your name forever and ever. The Lord is great and is highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. Verse 5. I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and of your wonderful works. They will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts. And I will declare your greatness. They will give a testimony of your great goodness and will joyfully sing of your righteousness. And I'll throw one more in there for free. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and great and faithful love. Straight out of Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. So, my title is Wholehearted Devotion and Praise. Wholehearted devotion and praise. So the first thing we would note is the fact that in Hebrew, the word for worship is avodah. It also means service or labor. So you can translate it in several ways. So avodah, so we worship, service, or labor. And as you notice, many of our songs are from the Psalms. And this particular Psalm extols the nature and attributes of God and how men and women should respond. So the first thing we should see is that we should cultivate the same wholehearted devotion that King David had. And you notice that he said every day, King David describes the genuine praise daily, as is our sacrifice of praise. You know, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 15 and 16, it said, through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name. So we have that little passage as well from the book of Hebrews. So in this psalm, Psalm 145, David describes the delightful response to God's absolute greatness. Did you notice the songs we sang today had greatness and the goodness of God together? That was something that the Lord arranged. Thank you, Shalitha. But nonetheless, it fits right into my message today, the greatness of God. So in this psalm, David describes the response to God's greatness. And, this, and he first starts out in private worship. And then there's a response from the, from the corporate as well. 
within, and then also there's intergenerational. We're going to look at this intergenerational worship from one generation to the next. So many things going on here in the first seven verses. Now, one little caveat we have to be careful with, we have to be careful not to reduce our worship as spectator worshipers. Let's not be spectator worshipers. People who watch others worship are remaining aloof themselves. It can be easy to get into that, particularly if our mind is focused on something else, or we have something heavy laying our hearts. But instead, we ought to be full participants or active worshipers. People in a community engaged actively in the declaration of praising our God. When I come through these doors here, I'm looking forward to what Shalitha has for us, the worship, the praise for our God. Uh, it's unfortunate that sometimes people come over to hear the message because that's only part of the service. But the praise, where else can they come and praise God in a community sense? The people all around are praising football teams and ballerinas and everything else, but praising the Lord together corporately, this is the place or wherever place your house of worship can be. So we should be praising and declaring praise for his unsearchable greatness, goodness, and great acts displayed among men. Now, one of the things I really like uh, is our seduer. Uh, in a text in the first seven verses of Psalm 145, it's interesting if you look at the steward and see several things, we can find some similar things. So we, we're going to look at our, our seduer here in a few minutes. Not quite yet, but we will be looking at our seduer. We've got to look at a few pieces there. But if we go back to Psalm 145, we will get to your Shadur, so make sure you have that handy. It's right there in front of your pew if you need it. In Psalm 145, uh, verse 1, it should be our delightful duty to praise him daily and praise his name. So we're going to first look at uh, some words that's very important in this exposition of Psalm 145. So again, Psalm 145, verse 1, I will extol you, my God, O King, I will bless your name forever and ever. Verse 2, every day I will bless you, will praise your name forever and ever. The first thing about extol. And we're going to look at some Hebrew words. Now it's fascinating, we're going to see some words for praise. It's not the same word. It's different. This first word, I will extol you. Those of you who are taking notes, it's Strong's number 7311. It's a root word, room. Room is to be high, to exalt, to lift high, to raise up. And what's fascinating about these words is this word describes the elevation of the worth of an object or a person, usually with the voice. So we're lifting high because he's worthy of praise. Now, we move around in a sanctuary with a Torah scroll. What do we often sing? Romi mu, Romi mu, Romi mu, Romi mu, Adonai Eloheinu. Or exalt, exalt, exalt. Exalt the Lord our God. We're singing that. Exalting the Lord. We're lifting his name high. We're bringing it up because it's worthy of being praised. So it means to elevate, to lift high, describing the worth of an object which we are celebrating. So uh, that's, that's kind of interesting to do that. Now, is it not fitting and proper for us to do that? I mean, if you can't do it here, if not us, who? If not now, when? This is a place. Of course, you might be familiar with, the, with where I got that reference from. So uh, in the world in which we live, there's all varieties of lesser objects and persons of worth than our God or King. You know, it's interesting how people cheer this football team. They act crazy and they lift up the voice. And they're so excited about what their team's done or what the individual has done. And yet God gets relegated sometimes to something just small like 
don't, don't get don't get too worked up now over that. Let's, let's be a little reserved here. That's not what the David said. He's exalt, lift high his name. We're to exalt that name, not just be casual worshipers, not just half-heartedly, but wholehearted devotion in worship. And how long does he do it? Daily, not just occasionally. So that implies not only corporate worship, but daily worship. Now, I don't know about you, but I absolutely love this Siddur. I have my personal copy, and I will read through some of these prayers before I chant them in Hebrew. I'll look at the English. And this is chock full of some of the best character attributes you will ever see in here and will exalt and describe what we should be doing to the Lord. Absolutely love this to do. I use this in my daily devotion. So whatever you're using, we should have a time of personal worship. Here's the deal. If you don't worship at home and you only come once a week, you're not bringing anything to the table. You're not bringing with you anything. Since I worship at home, and some of you, many of you probably do, you worship at home, when you come, you're bringing something. You're bringing a psalm. You're bringing a message. And then we together can worship them. Otherwise, we have to kind of work it up. We have to work it up. But here, if you're already worshiping God, it's something that comes natural. And this is a corporate worship. But it begins at home. It begins with daily worship in the morning, whatever time you might carve out in your day. I'm not here to say the best time is whatever day. Whatever fits your schedule. Some people work night shifts, right? or sometimes work day shift, find your time, get plugged in daily. Not only am I to exalt, David says, I will bless your name. Now, you didn't take a rocket science to us, Baruch, or Barak to bless. But did you know that the word literally means this? It means to bend the knees. And the idea is to adore. When you approach a king, what do you do? Hi, king. No, you bend the knees or you bow. Usually it's bow down face down on the ground. So we're blessing God, we're bending the knees. When we sing our liturgy, Baruch Atah Adonai, we're bending the knees. The idea of showing reverence, but also means to declare something. Declare him worthy to bend the knees and to adore him. So exalt and the bless in the same sentence. So uh, that's interesting. Now, what are we blessing? We're blessing your name, Shinka. Your name, we're blessing his name. You know, uh, unfortunately today in modernity, one's name doesn't necessarily mean anything. Maybe it just it sounds good or it, it doesn't have any meaning. But in antiquity, particularly in the biblical world, name and character are pretty much synonymous. Your character is your name. Your name is your character. Think of all the names in the Bible where God saw a change of character and there's a change of name. Avram, Avraham, Yaakov, Yisrael. One of my one of the interesting names is is uh, what happens to Abigail, her husband's name. Remember David, and he wanted to get some food, and he came and and uh, he was going to destroy the town because he wouldn't give him any food. She come, Abigail comes before David. She bends down and says, "Lord," I said, "My my as as my my Lord's name is so is he for his name is Nabal. You know what Nabal is? Fool. So names are very important. Nabal, fool." That's quite a name. I don't know why you name someone Nabal, but uh, certainly uh, not a very flattering name. So name and character go together. So we're blessing the name. We're blessing the character. So they're interrelated. Name and character go together. So a person's name reflects a character. So that could have inroads in our lives. What about our name and our character? When we say something, do we back up with our character? Because if we don't, do you know what's happening? We are profaning his name because our actions have 
an effect on the, on the name of God as relation to what nations think about it. If you read, for example, in Ezekiel 36, it said, all day long, my name is blasphemed because of my people blaspheming it. And the nations get to look and see what Israel's doing and, and say, well, that's your God, and they blaspheme God. So there's, a, there's, a, there's an interesting relationship between how we live our lives and how we bless God's name or profane it, depending on how we live our lives. Now, it comes to the subject of a king, and this is referring to God the king. Uh, his honor, reputation, glory, and name is at stake. Right? So we don't want to have any profanation of that name through our, through our uh, behavior. So now, how, does, how long does, does David bless and exalt God? Occasionally, le'olam va'ed. It's literally in the text. Le'olam va'ed, forever and ever. He's going to do this forever and ever. Not just an occasional whim, well, I'll worship him maybe once a week. He's saying every day we should worship him because he's the only one worthy of worship every day. Now, hopefully, hopefully I'm speaking to the choir. Hopefully we're all having this incredible time of individual worship. Now, uh, I love the inner corporate worship with Shalifa leading us and some of the other praise groups, uh, the singers worshiping with us. When it comes to worship, I myself, I like to enter into worship and that might mean to change the pronouns. So let me go to something I drew up here. Personalize the lyrics. So I picked a couple of songs we, we had today. Le Kunarania. In English, it's let us sing to the Lord. And in English, it says, come and worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord our maker. What I like to do is personalize it. I come and I worship and I bow down and I kneel before the Lord my maker. And then I'll switch it and make it we. We come and we worship and we bow down and we kneel before the Lord. Because there's a difference between it's a good idea to come down and bow and me to enter into that and bow. It's another to say, let us come and worship or let's worship and say, no, I worship and we worship. So see, you're entering into worship rather than saying like a spectator, yeah, we should worship God. Yeah, we should bless, we should kneel. No, I'm entering into that as an active participant. I'm entering into that worship. So for me, I'll change the lyrics. I'll, no, I'll do it softer so you guys won't be you know, wondering, what's going on? He's changing the words. I did change the pronouns because that way I'm entering into worship. Now, sometimes, uh, and by the way, part of that song is the depths of the earth are in his hands. I will change it. The depths of the Lord are in your hands. You see, I'm entering it. I'm personally entering into worship by saying the thing that he's doing. The depths of the earth are in your hands, and the mountain peaks are his, and I'll say the mountain peaks are yours. I'm entering into worship and changing the pronouns so that I myself have entered into that worship rather than just hearing someone declaring we should do that. No, I'm entering into it, so I said active participants in what we're doing. Now, there's other songs, of course, that have uh, the idea that, like, for instance, Joel Chernoff. Great and wonderful, all your wonderful deeds, O Lord, all God Almighty. Just and true, all your ways. King of ages art thou. So that's pretty straightforward, right? It has pronouns built right into it. So that's great. Now, sometimes I may tweak it rather than say thou, I'll say you. But whatever you do, you're entering into worship rather than just being a spectator worship. All right. So in this way, I and you can enter into full participation of worship with all my being and fully engaged with others in actually worshiping God rather than simply agreeing or acknowledge, let us adore. Now that's fine, you might want to do it the first time, 
myself, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm saying myself, I will actually change the pronouns. So that's, that's something that we could do. Verse 2, every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Now it's interesting because we use words all the time like love and praise and glory we, and holy. We use these words without ever knowing what they really mean. And a person worked with it, they kept on saying, holy cow, holy, whatever. I says, finally came up to him and says, what does holy mean? Well, I don't know. Doesn't even know. So why use names you don't understand what they mean? So praise your name. For those of you taking notes, Strong's number 1984, it's the word halal. I'm only using the root word here. Halal. All right? And halal is a very interesting word. So halal has the idea of shining. In fact, the halal literally translates as to shine. To shine. That's the basic root word. To shine. Other range of, uh, the other words in semantic range of meaning is to, to praise, to boast, to celebrate, to cause to shine, or to be honored. So that's kind of a range, semantic range of meaning. I like some of these words like celebrate or boast in his name. So rather than I will praise your name, you could say, I will boast in your name. How often do we boast in his name, particularly before unbelievers? That's how great is our God. But to shine, you know, like to shine a light on or make his name shine, like this is a fantastic name. So if I came to someone who's a basketball aficionado and said, Michael Jordan, ooh, that name shines. Or if I see a famous figure, a, a Buckeye figure, ooh, his name shines, his reputation shines. We should be that toward the Lord's name himself and make his name shine. So I will praise your name. I will make your name shine. I will boast or I will celebrate, celebrate the name. So I will praise you and I will bless you your name forever and ever. Now, uh, in the Sudur, we find this concept in Half Cottage and Warner's Cottage on page 109. So let's take out your, 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 your uh, Sudur to page 109. Absolutely love the Warner's Cottage. I this bit is so fantastic. I can't tell you how much I really enjoy the words in this. Now, we're going to note in this piece of liturgy the desire for the great name of God to be esteemed and the desire for God's kingdom to be established. So look at how he piles, uh, we'll see how these names, these verbs are piled together. Magnified and sanctified, may God's great name be throughout the world which he has created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom in our lifetime, during our days, within the life of the entire house of Israel, speedily and soon and say amen. May the greatness of his name be blessed forever and ever. Now, watch the next part right down below because notice the cluster of verbs being shown for God's name being honored. Let the name of the Holy One, blessed is he, bending the knee, be blessed and praised and glorified and exalted and extolled and honored and adored and lauded beyond all blessings and songs. Let's stop right there. He uses eight verbs to describe what we should be doing to his name. Do you think he's making a point here that this prayer is making a point what we should be doing? Look at that. Blessed, praised, glorified, exalted, extolled, honored, adored, and lauded. And then what? For just, just occasionally? For beyond all the blessings and songs and praises and consolations that ever spoken in this world and say, Amen. That's good at this point here. We'll, we'll include that particular one there. 
So you notice that there's a whole lot of uh, declarations of praise here. And the, the word for praise there is the word to cause to shine. So let the name of the Holy One be blessed and praised, glorified, exalted, extolled, honored, adored, and lauded. That's a long list of words we should be doing. You think that this is emphasizing we should be doing this to the Lord our God? Absolutely. All right, so now here's the deal. If we fail to praise his great name, and by the way, it's amazing how much in our culture we use the word great, isn't it? Uh, we have politicians like who think they're great. Of course, in Ukraine, there's certain, there's certain individuals who think they're great. Great? Huh. Let me show you who a great is. Great is not in that at all. But if we don't praise his great name, do you think the very rocks will cry out? I think so. So we should be in a business, so to speak, of making his name to shine, causing his name to be honored, magnified, glorified, and lauded for other men and women. So shining a spotlight upon his great name is an example. Okay, now, verse 3, Psalm 145.3. Great is the Lord. Have you noticed that these verses, all seven verses, we talk about the greatness of our God. And all the songs that Sharifa picked out was about the greatness and goodness of God. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. His greatness is, well, you can, you can eventually discover it. Is that what it says? Your greatness is, it's searchable. It's unsearchable. So in this verse, to the very last verse, declarative statements are used to describe the greatness of God using other attributes. So you know the word great is the word gadol, Strong's 14.19. This little adjective boasts of a great subject. In our worldview, we overuse and trivialize great, don't we? Everything's great. It seems like everything is great. Uh, the exploits of a sport hero, they're great. We talk about the greatest of all times, the great a culinary masterpiece, a great operatic diva. We wrap around the label great. He's great. What we really need to do is choose a word more wisely uh, from whom we label as great since it diminishes true greatness through the use of lesser objects. If we go around saying great to everything, well, after a while, it loses its luster, doesn't it? If everything is great, and you say great is the Lord, well, I guess it's just as great as this church over here, this diva over here, this sports figure. Let's reserve things like love and great to actual worthy objects rather than just using willy-nilly whatever you like, whatever. It tends to be a buzzword. You just use great as a filler word. So let's use great in terms of our God. So if a sports car is the greatest of all time, what do we do to compare the Lord to our God? Well, then we have, we're relegated to greater than. So we have to up the ante, greater than. So let's use great for when it's really needed. So David proclaims, great is the Lord. Who can compare to him? Who is like you, O Lord? Any other person in any other occupation or any station of life is suddenly relegated to not as great, or well, maybe he's better than another person, but not as great as our God. Let's capture, recapture the awe and magnificence of Gadol, great. And you just describe the incomparable great is the Lord. Now, we say the great is the Lord, and then he says something else. His greatness is unsearchable. The root word is heker, Strong's 2714. Heker is anything to be searched out to discover its depth of being. And when he uses the word ain, there is none. His greatness is unsearchable, unfathomable, undiscoverable. It reminds me of the Marianas Trench. You know about the Marianas Trench? 
deepest part of the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, right by Japan, the Philippines, that area there. It is so deep you could put the, you could put Mount Everest or any kind of those tall mountains inside it and have room to spare. Under the sea. No human can go there without any kind of I don't I don't think we even touched it. To my knowledge, we've not even actually touched the bottom of Mariana's trench. If we have, it's with these uh, uh, the submersibles, but we can't we explode. We cannot do that. God's greatness is like the Mariana's trench, except multiply that times one billion times. He is, he is so great, we can't plumb the depths. You know, we talk about unfathomable. You used to take fathoms and take and, and throw out, you know, ropes with weights and see how, how many it's as well. Okay, it's getting deeper, it's getting shallower. You can't do this here. You can't do this. So the Mariana's Trench is so deep. And yet the Apostle Paul, uh, he used to say something in Romans 11.33. Won't you listen to this? Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how unfathomable are his ways. Wow. We need some time to just meditate on how great our God really is. Think in terms of how great and how maybe he's delivered you in your life. You know, uh, I had a friend who, uh, you know, I had a stroke about a couple of years ago. And I've been visiting a friend who's had a stroke for three years, and he's still paralyzed from the left side. We go visit him almost every week. I was afraid to almost go in one day because I had a stroke, and yet I got my procedure done so fast, in about half an hour, I was able to repeat everything that I lost. I was completely paralyzed on the right side, and after the doctor did the procedure, I was completely healed that quick. How great you are, and yet, yet I recognize that other people aren't so, they don't have that as well. And so there's that issue of that. And so certainly, I think of the greatness of God, and I think, wow, I should even more dedicate. So we sing the song, you know, that, uh, you know, that we lift our, our, our lives as a living sacrifice. I think that that's true. Lift up the whole life as a sacrifice because of his greatness. And he's so great, and yet he came down to lowly earth, so to speak, and they execute him on a tree for our sins and for our deliverance. That great God of ours. Wow, when you start thinking about the greatness of God, we need to really focus maybe on more on that, what it is. And then, uh, and by the way, his greatness, no man can fathom. You might say he is the epitome of greatness. Maybe we could define greatness as the Lord God. Now, verse 4, I like this, the, the, the middle orders and the teens stayed in here. Normally, uh, we have the young children, after they've sat here in worship, they will, we will let them go before the sermon and the message, and then they go in the other room. Well, listen to this in Psalm 145.4. One generation shall praise your works to another, and together shall declare your mighty acts. So take a guess. What is one generation to another in Hebrew? We see this phrase a lot. Door to door, right? Door to door. One generation to the next. That's what literally it is. One generation to the next. So this phrase moves from the individual, David, and now incorporates a community before he said, I will praise, I will worship. Now he's saying one generation shall praise the next. He's saying there's a next generation. So we have to have entered the individual taste of the Lam Habab uh, right now, and then we enter that into it uh, as one generation to the next. Now, um, what's interesting is here at Beth Messiah, all our children used to stay in the service until the message is given. Why is that? Why don't they just go in some places, some houses of worship, they, they caution the kids away uh, so they have their own services. So they're over here and adults are over here. So the question remains is what happens when they grow up 
They've not, they're not used to having adults worship, so what do they do? But here at Beth Messiah, all our children and youth stay in service until the message is given. In this way, one generation shall praise or declare his works to the next generation and declare the mighty acts and model, model for the children and for the youth, the next generation, what corporate worship looks like. And we enter into active worship. If children and teens are not present, well, they will have the benefit of this corporate declarative worship that we so cherish. And they see us modeling this. If they don't model it, most things, that, you know, the old adage, caught than taught, is really true. If they see us modeling what it is to worship God, and they grow up and then they move out of the teens, and now they're with us, they're familiar with what worship looks like already. So one generation will praise your works to another. Now there's that word praise, except this is a different word. It's not halal. It's shabach, the root word. Strong 76.23, Shabbat. So this, this word is really nuanced a little more than, than Hallel. The semantic range of meaning includes to commend, to congratulate, to boast, to loudly proclaim with a triumphant voice. So this verb emphasizes declaring something in a loud tone and usually with the sound of triumph. So it's getting really excited. So... Uh, Shabbat is commending with a loud tone is uttered from one generation to the next or door to door, door to door. Now, let's compare this to what happens we see. It's interesting, I've, I've had this conversation with people before in other contexts where people say, well, you're getting kind of, you're kind of getting, getting carried away in your worship, aren't you? I mean, let's just tone it down. And yet the same people will go to a football game and go, ah, and act like idiots and dress with paint and Anything like that. If people can dress up like that, it's socially acceptable to be excited about the football team. They score touchdowns or scores goals or whatever. Why can't we be excited about who God is? And so I wouldn't take advantage of the fact that, that surely we ought to engage in loud commendation of God's mighty acts and works he's performed among us. So when God does something spectacular, we should have someone come up here and let me just boast about the name of our God and, and explain and exclaim how great his name is, what his works, what he has done. Otherwise, what we're really saying is the, the, the uh, Olam Hazeh, this present world, is more important than Olam Haba, the world to come. We don't want to do that, right? The Olam Haba is what we want to focus upon. Now, not only do we do praise or declare or to commend his name, I will declare or tell of your greatness. Now, uh, the, the word here is Nagad, to declare, and has a semantic range of meaning to be conspicuous, to be unhidden, to declare, to tell, to expound, to inform, to confess. So does, does, does David say, I will whisper to greatness. He doesn't whisper. He declares, he shouts. It's not hidden. Because usually if you speak softly, you're almost like inconspicuous where you're at. Here, make it conspicuous. Make his name conspicuous, not hidden. So uh, it's fabulous the fact that, that we are to, uh, to declare his greatness in the sphere of influence, wherever your sphere of influence, to be great and not be inconspicuous. Don't downplay it, but openly confess, particularly before men, his great name. Because again, if you're working in a place where there's mostly people who don't know the Lord, if not you, who? If not now, when? On verse 5, on the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your works I will meditate. Verse 6, men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts 
and I will tell of your greatness. Now, the word here is for meditate is the word siach. Siach here is interesting. Strong's number 7878. David's focus here is upon the glory and splendor and works of God. And isn't it true that it's easy for all of us to let our focus fall the daily grind in the Lam Hazet of this world rather than the Lam With all the troubles and troubles and turmoils and all the, 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 the wars going on, it's easy to have our focus there. Yet David fixes his mind upon the heavenly unseen realm and uses powered imagination to dwell upon a loftier subject material like God's glorious splendor, his majesty, his wonderful works. Of course, we're told by Colossians 3 by Paul, therefore, if you've been raised up to Messiah, keep seeking the things above, for the Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. Set or fix your minds on the things above, not on the things below on the earth. So David not only focuses, and Paul echoes this, David not only focuses attention above what he meditates, the semantic range of meaning for meditate is this, to muse, to consider, to talk about to study. It often is in the context of what we would call today self-talk. So we, we, we go over in our minds a lot. In fact, uh, maybe you've gone to the zoo and you've seen an antelope or a gazelle and they're chewing, right? They're chewing their cud. That's what we should be doing about his greatness is meditating our minds as if we're doing, our minds are doing this. We're meditating over and over and over the greatness of God because if we don't sit here and focus on the greatness of God in his name, when? And so it's important because once we really get that going, we really get to chew that cud down there and we continually do this in our minds, we will be in a better position to talk, consider, and study his great name. So now this is the, the meditation we're talking about. It's not like the meditations you see out there in the, in the world. And the other meditation is like you empty your mind and let whatever comes in your mind come into you. No, no, we're not emptying our mind. We're filling our minds with the glory of God, with the name of God, with the greatness of God, with his character attributes. So biblical meditation is polar opposite of meditation as the world calls it. And then this next verse is, is I love this next verse. Uh, the, 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 the word here is fantastic. Verse 7, they shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. Now, the word eagerly utter, at Strong's number 5042, is the word naba, and I love this word. Are you ready for this? The semantic range of meaning is this, to flow, to bubble up, to spring up, literally, and figuratively to eagerly utter, to declare enthusiastically. The word primarily means to gush forth. Men are bubbling forth, they're excited. You know, you know it's interesting. You know what a person's excited about, but just seeing his emotion. When they get excited about the Buckeyes, they're all, oh, yeah, nah, whatever inside of them bubbles up to the surface. That should be us. We should bubble up the praise of God, the bubble up his greatness, rather than maybe downplay it. So it means to bubble up. Men are to eagerly bubble up about the goodness of God. It doesn't mean to, to worship reservedly, nor getting too excited, don't get carried away. It's just the opposite, to bubble up that excitement. So now if we use the literal wordplay of a brook bubbling and combine it with the last two verses, meditating upon God's glory, his majesty, his kingdom, the works of goodness, it follows that, that we bubble up whatever is inside of us, whatever we're excited about. So what are men bubbling up about? His goodness, his goodness. 
I'm looking forward to hearing uh, uh, James Klein talking about some of the goodness that God has done in his acts with his sons. And I, I'm really looking forward to hearing about that because it's interesting that sometimes when we talk about God's goodness, we've got to be careful we don't allow external circumstances to come around and, and, and tarnish that because circumstances uh, uh, will really tarnish that if we're not careful. We need to maintain the fact that God is good no matter what happens in our lives. And that is so hard practically sometimes when, when, things are, when things are knocking at your door, when you have unemployment knocking your door, when there's a divorce proceeding knocking on your door, when people you know, get, get a stroke or heart attack knocking on your door. But the goodness of God, the Hebrew word tov, is what word there. So God is good even when circumstances are shouting to the negative. The goodness of God. On and on about the goodness of God is, is pretty incredible. Actually, let me take up my Bible. I want you to look here at Psalm 145 and a couple other verses that uh, we're not going to cover, but I'm just going to mention it by uh, way. So in Psalm 145, I want to look at the goodness of God. If you look down here in verse 14, the Lord helps all who fall. He raises up all who are oppressed. So there's a goodness of God in terms of, of his ability to raise and and deliver. All eyes look to you, and you give them their food at a proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The goodness of God. Now, I like it when it says, you open up your hand and feed every living creature. We have some bird feeders at our condo, and we have all kinds of birds. Bluebirds, cardinals, robins, and they're all coming to our feeder. And I think of that verse that God opens his hands and feeds every living creature, sometimes to you and me. But the goodness of God, and think in your own life how often God has been good to you, and how often he has saved your life. Years ago, like three-quarters of a lifetime ago, I was a professional zookeeper, and my life was spared numerous of times of being killed or seriously injured. And I can thank God for the goodness because, of course, if it would have been successful then, you would have known who I was. Right? So the goodness of God in your lives is very important. And then he says, I will shout joyfully of your righteousness. The word shout or that verb is the word ranan, the root word, Strong's number 7442. Ranan is the idea of giving a ringing cry. I think of those women who give that, you know, the high ringing sound, oh, my ears hurt. Ringing cry. That's what it literally means. I will give a ringing cry of joy over your righteousness. So, and finally, look at your, uh, your righteousness, tzedakah, okay, the semantic range of meaning, which is that, that was ethically right, truthful, and just. In a sense, we can define it this way. Righteousness is doing what is rightly expected in all relationships and situations. Let me say that again. Righteousness is doing what is rightly expected in all relationships and situations. Is not God the epitome of that? So Adonai's righteousness and goodness is truly something we can give a ringing cry about, even if you're doing it at home by yourself. It's okay to get excited by yourself, by the way. <laughs> so to complete this message this morning, we'll look at, at, at uh, a couple more here on the liturgy. We'll be done. Let's look at Baruch Amar on page 53 if you should do it. Blessed is he who spoke the world into being. Blessed is he. Blessed is he who was in the beginning. Blessed is he who spoken it was. Blessed is he. So uh, if you look at Psalm 145.5, it says, On your wonderful works I will meditate 
He's speaking the wonderful works. And here, uh, the, the Lord who spoke the world of being, we should be saying, blessed are you for doing that. He goes on, blessed is he who decrees and shows mercy to all creatures. In verse 9 of Psalm 145, it says, his mercies are over all his works. He shows mercy to all creatures. Blessed he rewards those who fear him with good. In verse 9 of Psalm 145, the Lord is good to all. Now, I'm not saying what Psalm 145 and, and this passage is together, but it's amazing how much in Psalm 145 can speak directly to Baruch Shemamar. It's amazing. Who shows mercy to all creatures in verse 9 of 145. His mercies are over all his work. Blessed is he who rewards those who fear him with good. In Psalm 145, 9, the Lord is good to all. Blessed is he who lives and has existed forever and to all eternity. In verse 13 of Psalm 145, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Blessed is he who redeems and saves. Bless his name. And in Psalm 145, 14, the Lord sustains all who fall. He raises up all who are bowed down. He hears their cry and will save them. The Lord guards all who love him. You hear all that redeeming and saving going on or deliverance? It's amazing. And then finally, blessed you, Lord our God, King of the universe, Father of mercy. In Psalm 145, 11, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. And very, it, it, then we read on here, we will declare your name, declaring you king, our king, our God. And you notice how it goes from your king, but not only your king for sure, you're my king, you're our king. We've personalized his kingship rather than just acknowledge he is king. You've personalized it because some, sometimes we wonder about some people who claim to be Yeshua followers. They say that they're followers but uh, they don't ever seem to be doing anything the Lord asks them to do. Well, he's either king or, or he's not. And you don't sit there and you don't have the right to say, well, I'll, um, I'll, I'll do it sometimes. Well, he, he's either your Lord or Lord not at all. And then he finally finishes, you alone are king of the life of the universe. The greatness of your name will be praised and glorified forever and ever. Do you hear all the times it says your greatness, your greatness, your greatness, your greatness? God is great, and all day today and all our songs seem to be talking about the greatness of God. Only God could have pulled this off with all the songs that Satan pulled up. So I, I finish with this, and that is, and that is when we are reading Psalm 145, we see the character attributes of God. And then we also use the, the Siddur, and we look and we praise his name. I think one thing we should probably do, I think Howard's mentioning this, is there's times when rather than just recite through the Hebrew, because we usually just do the Hebrew and most of these pieces of, of liturgy, is perhaps maybe you want to take one time or a second time and read the English. Read what we are praising. I mean, think about, you know, a, a blessed is he that gives like eight different ways to say bless his holy name. Just blessing, praise, and laud, and thanksgiving, honor, etc. Are we entering into that worship? And so as we close tonight, may we be people who want to extol the greatness of his name, the greatness meaning in terms of his goodness, his mercy, his loving kindness, all those character attributes we read in Exodus chapter 34 and also in Psalm 145. Let's close in prayer. Avina Makenu, our father, our king, if not us, who? If not now, when? Father, may we 
May we be people who want to glorify, to make your name shine, to give a ringing cry, to commend your name audibly before one generation to the next. Father, may we be people of praise. Father, when we enter into worship here, may we continually enter into personal worship. Father, I'm thanking you that you have given us Shalipa and our worship team. What a blessing they are to us. And Father, I thank you that you have given us the Psalms so that we can use those to enter into worship. Father, your goodness and greatness are so interrelated. You are so good because you are so great. You are so great because you are so good. Thank you, Father, that you've given us so many pieces of liturgy from Sidur and also from the Psalms that express your goodness and greatness, what our response should be. And Father, I pray that we would be modeling the goodness and the greatness, your goodness and greatness, as we declare your praise from one generation to the next, to our future generations. May they pick up on the fact that we are genuinely worshiping you and expressing your greatness and goodness and all the other character attributes because, Father, you are worthy of praise. You are great beyond all the, the accolades, songs, and adorations that are ever given in this world. And say, Amen. In Yeshua's name, Amen.